and welcome back to Night Owl Nerds. Last week on Fate's Split, the party managed to gather inside of the cavern home of Gurn. Seeking shelter from the harsh conditions outside, a bit of warmth, a bit of food, and a comfortable dirt floor covered in animal skins and furs. As the party slept, Shatten, while on watch, noticed that Forthus's skin began to sparkle and shine. After waking up Moss and Forthus, they began to realize that Forthus was fading from existence, as he said something about his family finally finding him and potentially taking him back home to the plane of existence where he belonged. As time progressed over the next couple of days, the party found themselves beset by harsh winds blowing snow as blizzards plowed through the side of the mountain, slowing their progress towards the village they had seen at the base. Slowed further by the realization that Forthus may never return, Shatten and Moss each trying to cope with the loss of a lifelong friend. Where we left off last time, Moss, having communed with the Watcher of life and death, brought his soul to the realm between for a moment of solace. We resume our game within the foliage dome of Northam's Seed of Protection. Harsh blizzard winds beating against the leaves and vines. A pure darkness within as the party sleeps. Selene, you awaken from your trance. As your eyes refocus in the pure darkness, your drow eyes can see in black and white the dim images of your party members resting. And as you look around, you notice Moss on his knees, seemingly looking down at his arm and not moving. Um, I'm going to cast one dancing light so I can kind of get a clear picture of what I'm seeing. And, and so not to wake anyone else up. All right, and uh, just for image sake, what color are your dancing lights? They're like, they're uh, a blue. So as you summon this single blue dancing light, it rises from your hand above you and you are afforded a bit more vision around the space within the dome. Is it in front of me or? Wherever you'd like to place it, it's your dancing light. I'm going to put it somewhat near Moss. Okay. Just to see what he's potentially looking at. So the light hovers from your hand over to, say, a foot or two above Moss, bathing him in a soft blue light. And uh, from where you are, from where you are versus where he is, 
you can see that he is looking down and his eyes are closed. His arm in a forward position, revealing the underside of it where his brand is. I'm going to make my way over to him, but like not try to wake him up and trying to be quiet because I don't want to disturb him. Okay. You do so slowly enough that I won't ask for a stealth check on this. You creep over, uh, avoiding stepping on your other party members as they are strewn about the floor of this dome. You make your way over to Moss, and as you get closer, I'd like you to roll a perception check. I got an eight. With an eight, the only thing that you notice as you approach, his head is down, seemingly facing his forearm. The only thing you notice is the slightest glisten off the side of one of his cheeks. Um, I'm going to gently tap his shoulder as not to like alert him too much, like make him scared or whatever. Okay. As you reach your hand forward to gently wake him from his trance, time will freeze. Moss, you are within the realm between, kneeling on the ground underneath the massive waterfall that crashes down from the heavens. The Watcher of Life and Death perched on your shoulder, silent, watching you as you sob, your tears blending with the water hitting your face. Moss will do that for a couple minutes. And just kind of look his head over at the watcher. Just kind of do. You, do you have uh, any idea where Orthus might have gone? The watcher, in its half-dead, half-alive, corvid form, cocks its head at you slightly and then turns its body so that the living side of you so that the living side of its body faces you and it meets your gaze eye to eye and it simply says one word home he's all right right well, he's fine he was never meant to be here anyway it was about time for him to return. He is alive, if that's what you're asking. Do you, do you think we'll ever get to see him again? Well, that depends. It takes fairly powerful magic to travel between the realms. But I suppose anything is possible with enough determination. I imagine if he had been given more warning, he might have been able to say a more proper goodbye. 
Also, just kind of nod his head. Since you're, uh, since you're here, since the last time I came here, I, f I found that I have this weird ability to do something. Yes? It's like I could give temporary, almost life to myself and those around me. That doesn't make any sense to me. Why wouldn't it? You're marked by me. I am the giver of life. And the taker. You are in essence a champion of sorts. I wouldn't say I, I wouldn't say that you're a tool, but close enough. And being marked by someone with my abilities grants you a bit of leniency in these areas. Yes, that makes sense. As the mark of finality, you are essentially a giver of life and death. You would be given a measure of ability to manipulate when things die or don't die. Hey. You are. You are acting on my behalf, so why not have a little bit of breathing room in this area? I don't really like killing things. Well, no one likes killing things, at least. Not good people, anyway. But sometimes it's necessary. Not everything can live forever. I mean, true. When I first came here, said you knew something about what happened in my town. I... yes. It was a strange time. I was... I... I felt a lot of death, and for some reason, things that should have been dead but weren't. It was unsettling, to say the least. I knew there was something off about those people. I happened to know who they were. Or where I can find them. Who they were and where they are now is unknown to me. I oversee life and death and these creatures were something in between. Something outside of my realm. Something outside of my sight. And I don't like that. That's why I asked for your help. I can only... I can only interact with your realm to a certain point, but you 
exist there. I think I'm beginning to understand a little more. I honestly wish I could explain it better, but even I don't understand it, and that's why this bothers me so much. Um, yes. When we find him, we'll know what to do. When you find them, when you find them, I hope that your hesitancy to kill doesn't get in the way of ending their existence. Something like that, abominations like that, should not be allowed to exist. Guess we'll find out when the time comes. I guess we will. Speaking of time, I believe our time here is up. One of your friends seems to want your attention. Oh, okay. <clears throat> Muscle kind of wipe his face. And the bird re regains its balance on your shoulder and begins to spread its wings as if to fly. And before it beats its first flap, it turns to you once more. I am sorry, Moss, that you lost your friend. Just know that he is alive and he is safe. Yeah, okay. And with that, the bird beats its wings and flies off, encircling the waterfall until it disappears from view. Moss. As the bird flies up, disappearing above the waterfall, your vision begins to fade from the realm between and as it refocuses, you open your eye just in time to see Celine's hand reaching out about to touch your shoulder. You are bathed in a blue light. I'll look up at her. What's going on, Celine? Well, I knew you were supposed to be on watch, and... You just looked like you were sitting at your arm, and then I saw the glisten of what looked like a tear on your face. So I just wanted to make sure you were okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm fine. I just needed some time alone. I understand. I can only imagine how hard it is to lose a friend so close. Yeah. Honestly, more worried about Shadden. I don't know. Think she's handling this very well. It's gonna take time. But as long as we all support each other, I'm sure we can all get through it. I mean, we've, we've gotten this far, right? 
very true. <laughs> you hear the grunts and snores and smacking lips of Gurn from the other side of the dome, breaking <laughs> this silence. Um, do you want to get some rest? I'll take watch. Uh, okay, thank you. Oh. Go lay down and pop into my shell. Alright. As Moss finds a nice corner of the dome and retreats into his shell. Celine, you are taking over his watch for the remainder of the night? Yes. Alright, please roll perception for your watch. I got an 18. Alright, with an 18, as your night progresses, you hear the wind against the exterior of the dome. Please roll a d20 for the day's weather. Oh, I got a 19. With a 19, as the night progresses, you hear the wind beating on the exterior of the dome, rustling the foliage. And then, as the hours pass, the wind begins to dissipate until there's almost none. Is there anything you would like to do during your watch? I don't know. Uh... I'm actually going to reach into my bag and pull out a necklace and kind of look at it and then put it back. And that's all I'm going to do. So just as you are putting away the necklace, the remainder of your party begins to come to. Moss having gotten an extra couple hours into his sleep starts to emerge from his shell vice shimmering under your dancing lights blue in color but probably thanks to the color of your lights gurn grunting smacking lips probably releasing a bit of gas and yeah <laughs> Shatten, you begin to emerge from underneath an extra layer of covering. As if my memory serves, somebody put an extra bedroll over you last night. It was either me or Moss. I can't remember. It was one of us. It might have been me. I, I don't know. Actually, no, it was me because I wasn't using my bedroll. So, Shatten, you find yourself with an extra layer of covering on you as you begin to awaken. It, she has a puzzled look and, you know, and rolls up the, the second uh, bedroll, looking around, trying to figure out who would have put it on her. Moss, as you were the one who planted the seed, you would know that you have about an hour left before the tree withers. 
Okay. <clears throat> Moss is going to get up and go to the edge of the tree and just kind of push aside to look out. So as you approach the exterior of the tree, you hold your hands up to push away the foliage, and the foliage moves with minimal resistance as if it is expecting you to peer outside. And when you do, you are almost instantly blinded by the sunlight of dawn as it peaks over the mountaintops. The skies are clear, there is no wind, and it seems like it's going to be a good day for hiking. Looks like we can actually make some distance today. Uh, Gern's gonna start to pick himself up off of the ground. Gern, we go. We go far. Moss will, uh, Open up the bag of holding. There it is. And he will pull out some of the beads of nourishment. See if anybody wants one. Gern's gonna uh, hold his hand out for one. Moss will hand one to him. Vice will accept one. Okay. Grin's going to, to lick it, and then he's going to put it in his pocket. Okay. Um, it tastes like gravel and patchouli. And you're putting it in your pocket? Yep. Okay. The moment that you put it in your pocket... You feel as if your pocket is suddenly a little bit damp. You put your hand back into your pocket to see if the bead is still there and it has dissolved. Uh, uh, um, I'm going to start slapping. <clears throat> Is my hand moist from... Yes. I'm going to lick and consume whatever. It tastes like gravel and patchouli. You don't feel quite as nourished as you did yesterday when you ate the entire bead. Hmm. Okay. Will Shatten be taking one of the beads? Uh, no. All right. Um, at this point, Shatten, I need you to roll a constitution saving throw. Uh, that would be a seven. You take one point of exhaustion, as you have not eaten in two days. Okay. And Celine, will you be taking a bead or eating one of your own rations? I'll take the bead. Okay. Moss, you would know that at this point, Shatten has not accepted 
at minimum breakfast for the past two days. Am I aware of this as well? Given your oversight of the party, you may have noticed this at this point. Especially considering in what little time you'd have spent with Shatten, she's constantly squirreling food and constantly talking about food. And since Forthus's disappearance, she's kind of let that obsession go. So I am going to make my way over to Shatten. Are you going to eat today? I'm not hungry. You haven't eaten in two days. You got to keep your energy up for anything that could happen while we're traveling. She's, uh, look, just gives a look like I'm going to have to put up with this if I don't keep putting up with this if I don't do something. Fine, I'll, I'll eat something. Just, um, she'll start munching on something out of her pocket. Is it, a, <clears throat> is it actual food or are you eating sand? <laughs> uh, she pulled out at one of the ration, a ration bar. Okay. You'll still have the exhaustion for the day. But having eaten and now beginning to digest some food... We'll see how the day progresses. So Shatten finally, begrudgingly, decides to eat one of her rations. Moss, you feel that it is about time that the tree will start to wilt. Alright guys, we gotta get ready to go. It's about to get cold. Well, from the amount of sunlight that was pouring into here when you parted the branches... Maybe it'll be a little bit warmer. Yeah, maybe a bit. Gurn's gonna get up and walk through the branches to the shelter. As you approach the branches, they part for you. Good. You are bathed in bright sunlight. And while the air is frigid, it is much more tolerable standing in the sunlight. <sighs> Gurn's gonna start stretching. Will the rest of the party begin stepping out? Yep. I'm going to wait for Shatten, and then I'll step out with her. Shatten uh, goes ahead and, and follows behind uh, Moss. I'll follow kind of behind her. And Vice? Vice steps out. All right. Celine, as you step outside of the dome, you are immediately blinded. Between the brightness of the sun itself and its reflection off of the snow-covered ground, your extremely light-sensitive eyes are pierced by this brightness. You're having a lot of difficulty seeing at the moment. Vice, as you step out of the dome, 
the sunlight glistens off of your azure skin. And you feel the brisk air around you. While the rest of the party, when the air hits you, after spending the past 10 hours in a wonderfully climate-controlled dome, you are all hit very hard by the brisk air. Vice, you know it's cold. But, as far as you're concerned, this is shorts weather. Um, I'm going to immediately try to cover my eyes and blinking quite a bit to try to get my eyes to adjust if I can. You're having a lot of difficulty doing so. Yeah, I kind of figured. Oh, you ready to go, Gern? We, we can go. So as you all bundle up, Celine trying to shield her eyes with her hands, you all march forward, seemingly down the mountain, following Gern's lead. Gern, right before we depart, is going to turn to Celine and take the bear pelt that he's or the hide that he put over himself from the mammoth, I do believe, yeah. um, and hand it to her to kind of put over her head as a as a hood, like a shawl. Um, I will look up and start to put it over my head. Thank you, Gern. I appreciate that. <clears throat> I'm going to turn directly back and go right back to the front and start leading again. Celine, you vaguely smell the musty odor of dead mammoth and body odor, but you are provided a bit of relief from the harsh sunlight around you. You're still having some difficulty seeing as you cannot see through the pelt but it is offering you a bit of relief. And as we travel, I would like someone to roll a d20. Oh, I can do that. 15. With a 15, as you all progress through the day, the dawn sun rises higher and higher into the sky. A few errant clouds <clears throat> lazily drift across the sky, occasionally offering a little bit of shade from the bright sunlight. But there is no, there are no strong winds. There doesn't seem to be any storms on the horizon. You all believe that the remainder of the day will continue to be relatively comfortable as the sun reaches its peak and as you continue your trek down the mountain you begin to notice that some of the snow that had piled onto the trees begins to fall in hard clumps landing with 
with a deep thud. Vice, you would know that this is the nature of snow as it begins to warm and melt. It becomes heavy with water. And you all feel a little bit of relief as the temperature has finally risen above freezing temp. Um, what is our uh, elevation currently? Like, what type of uh, incline are we on? Like, are we going down like a mountainside steep or? Based on where they were versus the amount of time that you guys have spent on the mountain and your traveling distance, you would presume that you were on what you would consider the base of the mountain. Okay. There's still a decline. You are still going downhill, but it, there are no sheer cliff sides. So it's a it's a it's a gentle gradient, and you know that you are approaching the base of the mountain where this village is. All right. Is there anything you all would like to do as you travel? As several hours have passed. I mean, <clears throat> I'd just be like keeping my eyes open, seeing if there's anything following us or watching us I'm also going to be tracking to see if there's any potential threats in the area halfway through the journey that we've been on I decided to um, Shatton's decided to hop back on top of the uh, on Moss's shell okay and Moss are you doing your typical uh, bedroll as a jacket deal yep. Shatton are you hiding under the bedroll Yep. Okay. It's warm. You're warm. Moss, as far as we have determined, is... I wouldn't say warm-blooded, but he's certainly not hot-blooded. And you are between shell and bedroll. So, at the very least, this situation offers you a bit of insulation. We'll check it and see. Vice is trying to covertly, like, check where he had pricked his finger the previous night um, to see if anything's changed. So, yeah, as you're walking, you look down at your finger to see where you had pricked it the day before. And you see a small red spot where, you know, your, your pin prick had clotted and healed and begun to heal over. Uh, it doesn't appear to be anything beyond that. Okay. Are we all walking in silence, or are we doing things, saying things? Um, snow's pretty packable that we're walking on. At this point, yeah, yeah. Oh. With the rising temperature and the sunlight beating down, this the you you are leaving definite tracks, and the snow is very packable. Ideal for tiefling-shaped snowmen. Gern's going to uh, go into a jog and get just a little bit further ahead of people. And then he's going to lean down 
and scoop some snow up into his hand and make a snowball. And he's okay. going to turn around and he's going to just throw it as hard as he can behind him. Are you uh, I'm aiming, aiming for anyone for, in particular? For whoever was directly behind me. Directly that behind would, you would be Moss. Okay, go ahead and roll the attack. Eighteen. Uh. So, Moss, <clears throat> you watch as your guide suddenly runs ahead of you, bends over, and starts scooping up snow. Then he turns around and whips it at you. You feel the impact of packed snow hit your shell-plated chest as the snow bursts across your chest, spraying in every direction. You take no damage, but you have been hit. <laughs> Boom! Gern's gonna go like this and spread his arms open, imitating the explosion of snow off of your chest. Uh, Moss is gonna lean down, grab a handful in each hand, like mash it together, make his own snowball. As you do, I'd like you to make a dexterity check. Okay. I have a reason. 16. Okay. It's a little mangled, but your long clawed reptilian hands have a bit of difficulty handling this cold snow. Mm. It is not a perfect sphere, but That's you have fine. managed, you have managed to pack <laughs> this snow into a mangled amalgamation of snow and ice. I'm going to throw one back at him. Go ahead and roll to attack. Uh, 17. Can I, can I be prepped and ready to try and catch this? As Gurn? Sure. Make a, uh, make a flat dexterity check. Is that a no roll? Just a d20 plus your dex mod. Nine. Okay. So, Gurn, you throw your snowball at Moss, hitting him square in the chest plate. And he looks down after the burst of snow across his chest. And then he leans over, nearly dropping Shatten out of the bedroll on his back. But Shatton, you managed to snuggle in and not fall out in this process. And he grabs a clump of snow, this just mangled clump of snow, packs it into a mismatched shape and wings it at you. And as you try to catch it with your hands forward, it hits the palms of your hand and its mangled shape and loose packing is such that it bursts when it hits your palms and you are sprayed in the face with snow. <laughs> Good. 
And he's going to turn back and continue leading towards the town. Okay. What the fuck was that? Why were they throwing snow at each other? Well, it's a pastime. It's fun, but normally it would erupt into a small fight, not someone just going good and then walking away. Why would it cause a fight? No, not like an angry fight. Like a fu- Have you ever seen drunkards brawl? No, like not friends really. that are drunk brawl? Sometimes the tribe would get drunk. Did they ever, like, fight just for fun? Sometimes. It's like that, but with snow. And oh. no black eyes and missing teeth. Oh. I'm not familiar with snow. Usually it resulted in me being pelted more than anyone else, but it was fun for them. Yeah, I don't have snow where I'm from, so I have no idea. I didn't know you could have fun in snow. I thought it was just cold. Like I said, it was fun for them. Fair enough. Benton's head will come out of the uh, the bedroll. What's going on? Are we under attack? Um, can I pick up like a small snowball and like I don't know, I'll try to attempt to make a snowball and kind of like throw it at Shatten. Make a flat dex check first. Fair point. Dice doesn't run away from me. That would be great. I got an eight. So you try to scoop up some snow. And your smaller drow hands have a bit of difficulty gathering up the right kinds of snow. And what you end up with is a ball about an inch and a half wide and it seems to be fairly loosely packed go ahead and roll to attack to try to hit Shatten with it I got a nat 20 <laughs> beautiful Shatten as you poke your head out from the bedroll as soon as you finish saying What's going on out here? Are we under attack? You are smacked in the back of the head with a very soft snowball as it bursts across your head. Her head just whips around the direction it came from. Really? That's the game we're playing? She's going to scamper down the underside of the blanket uh, across the shell to the ground. It appears, anyone standing in front of Moss, it would seem that he just shat out shat. <laughs> For furry help? <laughs> Shatten's going to scoop up a snowball as well to chuck at Celine. Okay, I'm going to stop asking for dex checks at this point. Go ahead and roll to attack. <laughs> Uh, that would be a 26. Absolutely. You hit her square in the chest as it bursts off. Celine, you are stung by ice 
as it melts and drips down your shirt. That's how you throw a snowball. Um, I'm still laughing from hitting Shatten, but I do feel the chilling kind of like try to brush the snow off of me. How how far away is Shatten? Like right behind me. I assume that's that's a yeah. call for her. Yeah, um, yeah, I would have dropped in right from right behind uh, you on the ground. Okay, Moss is gonna quickly spin around, and he's just gonna take his hands and scoop them into the snow right behind Shatten, and then just swoop up, covering her in snow. Beautiful. I'm not adding anything. That's exactly what happens. <laughs> Shatten, as soon as you throw your snowball and have that little interaction with Celine, you are suddenly covered in a miniature avalanche of snow. Her head's gonna pop up. You too. Moss is gonna run like 10 feet away and like get down and start making another snowball. Shatten's going to try to beat him to it. Gurn and Vice and Celine, what are you doing? Watching this interaction, laughing. I'm entertained because this is my first time ever seeing snow. And I didn't know it could be something to be played with. So this is like very intriguing to me. This is the first time that Vice hasn't been victim to a, uh, basically a, a, what do you call it? A firing squad of snowballs. So he's enjoying not being the target for once. All right. Gurns, uh, since, since the first initial snowball interaction, Gurn has continued traveling forward in, kind of lost um, interest in what was behind him until he saw Shatten pop out. But then he turned back and kept going. Um, so I want to be a little ways away from everybody. Okay. And then he's going to turn back. Gurn's going to lean down and start building a bunch of snowballs and stockpiling okay. a bunch of them. And then I'm going to uh, just unleash a, a bombardment trying to hit anyone and everyone over there. I'll say I made eight snowballs. Okay. A 16, 5, 12, 3, and a 2. And we can make judgment off of those. Moss, Vice, and Celine. As this is happening, snowballs are being tossed back and forth. Laughs can be heard as you are all kind of fucking around out of almost nowhere as you were, as you kind of lost attention on where Gurn was. A wave of snowballs comes crashing down upon you. You three are each hit by a snowball. I'm going to turn in the direction 
that these snowballs came from to see who threw them. Gurn's actively making more. <laughs> I'm going to start making more snowballs too. Attempting to. Uh, Vice, after being hit with a snowball, is going to prestidigitate the snow off of him. I just keep watching. He's he's having a he's having a good time, just watching this happen. Vice, you may remove one point. So as you are all laughing, having fun, throwing snowballs at each other, you're all beginning to feel a little bit wet. Moss, you may feel it a little bit less, given your scaly hide. The sun begins to move in the sky, and the snowball fight continues for, uh, say, about another 20 minutes. Oh, okay. Gern. Gern good. We go. We go now. Gern, you feel something very cold and icy drip down your pants. Gern's going to stuff one of his hands behind and pull some snow out of his ass crack. He's going to flick it at Moss. <laughs> you attempt to but Moss is a little bit too far away from you. <laughs> fun. Run <laughs> fun. Good. Yeah, I should probably get moving now. I agree. I'm going to start brushing the snow off of me. Shatton's going to do one of those body shakes just to get the wet, get some of the wetness off her fur. As Shatton shakes her tiny furry body, you see the snow fly off in every direction. Moss, your leg gets a little wet. <laughs> and you all continue on the path following Gurn down the mountain. And as you continue, you begin to see the tops of buildings in the distance. The ground around you has begun to reveal patches of grass covered in small sections of snow melting away, drifting off into a partially frozen river. You can hear the water burbling beneath the ice as it crackles and shifts, breaking away from the shore and shifting downstream. The ground beneath you is soft and incredibly wet, muddy even at times. The snow on the trees is melting and falling to the ground. We know far now. How far away are these buildings? These buildings at this point, as you continue walking and, you know, you can see the tops of the buildings. And as you turn, as you crest a small rise over some stone slabs and back onto grass, you can now see the village a few hundred yards away from you. And as you approach the village, 
you begin to notice that the buildings that you had seen are falling apart. Gray stone walls topped with green shingled roofs. Some of the roofs have collapsed in on themselves, others with gaping holes, rubble lines the streets. This village seems lifeless. You do not see any humanoids moving around within it. Of course it's abandoned. I still think that we should take a look around. This seems pretty creepy. Yeah, we should take a look around. Probably not a bad place to stay for the night if we can find a good structure. I agree. Quick, quick refresher for Gurn. Mm-hmm. Well, I know stuff about this area, yeah? Absolutely. Okay. As you all approach the village, I would like everyone to roll a perception check as you are watching for potential threats and trying to examine this village as you get closer. Fourteen. One. Seventeen. Twelve. I got a net one, too. As you are all looking around, trying to discern anything you can about this village, Shatten, you hear the distinct squelching of small feet in the mud about a hundred feet to your east. From where we're standing right now on the map? Sorry, west. Yes, from where you are standing on the map, about 100 feet to your west. Guys, we're not alone. I hear something over there. I point over in the direction where I'm hearing the noise. At the moment, you cannot see anything. Large stones, trees, the curved nature of the ground as it is being shifted by the water running into the earth is preventing vision of anything within your field of view. What is it? Go ahead. You go. I'm going to... uh, She's she's going to uh, run up a a bit in that direction. Try to jump up on top of one of the rocks to get a better view. Okay. So as you begin to run over in that direction and you hop onto one of the rocks, I'd like you to roll another perception check. Nine. Okay. As you jump on top of one of the rocks, at first you think you can hear the footsteps in the mud, and then they stop. And everything around you is silent, with the exception of the trees moving gently in the wind and the burbling of the river behind you. I just sworn I heard something. Gurn is going to clap twice. 
About two seconds later, you hear two claps in response and a light whistle. Hi. Chatton, from your stone top perch, you see a small bed of black hair rise from behind a bush. And from behind it walks a very petite, rail-thin, blue goblin dressed in ratty clothes with a huge grin across his face, teeth pointed in every direction. And he begins to run in the direction of Gurn, completely ignoring your presence. <laughs> Gurn's gonna run towards him like it's a long-lost friend. Gurn, where have you been? I've missed you! You... Uh, in... Uh, you, uh, uh, <clears throat> Gurn's gonna just like not be able to formulate any sentences. He's just overwhelmed with happiness. It's been so long. We've all missed you. We've all missed you. Please come to the village. Come to the village. We've missed you. Oh, it's so much to tell you. So many stories. Did you see that blizzard that just rolled through? And this creature just continues on and on and on. He's saying nothing. But he doesn't stop talking. Gurn's gonna tap him on his shoulder and point back at his party and be like, Gurn, friend. You, you, made, more, you made more friends than me? Good for mm. you, big guy. I'm so proud of you. And he like slaps you on the back of the knee. Yeah. For you. I've got new stuff. We found more stuff. I'm so excited. So many shinies. Gurn, Gurn, see. Um, I'll show you. And he begins to walk towards the village. Gurn's going to follow in the utmost excitement, but he's going to turn and beckon to everybody to come with. I follow. I guess it was not abandoned. I guess not. Can somebody explain to me what the fuck just happened? I don't even know. I'm still processing. I think we know where all of Gurn's words went. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> and yeah, I'll start following Gurn. As you all proceed into the village, you're looking around, and this village is just wrecked by time. Mother Nature has not been kind to these buildings. Several of them are barely standing, their framework rotting away, stones litter the ground. There are multiple lanterns in the town's circular center, none of which appear to be illuminated. So, and a couple of which seem to be snapped off at the midpoint, just from general decay. But as you are all peering around, you begin to see the glint of eyes peering at you through the holes in the walls of the buildings. And you realize that you're not alone. 
aside from the brand new blue goblin that just showed up out of nowhere, you all feel eyes, hundreds of them watching you as you walk through this small settlement. The small blue goblin appears to be guiding you towards what appears to be an old windmill. The arms on the windmill long since rotted off, the roof of which is caved in, and the archway that was once the entryway door has collapsed. But the rocks to the side of it have been moved aside to create a small opening about four feet by five feet. How long uh, has it been since Gurn has visited last? I would say two or three months. You know, not terribly long. You tend not to travel in the dead of winter. And you would know that the season you are currently in is not winter. Kent. Gurn's going to reach into his pocket and pull out the uh, bear teeth that he harvested off of the bears and hand them out to him. These will do wonderful, wonderful. I've needed new teeth for my collection. And he takes the handful of teeth from you and he starts shuffling through them in his hand just kind of like inspecting each and every single one of them. And then he finds one and he's like, oh, this is perfect. And then he opens his mouth and jams the bear tooth into his gum line. See, this is, it's a little bag, but it works. Thanks, Gurn. <laughs> Looks good. I'm going to have to try not to bite my tongue with it, but I think it's going to work. Thank you again, Gurn. And he shoves the rest of the bear teeth into his pocket. Come on, Gurn. I got all new stuff for you. Come, in, come inside. I got to show you. Okay. And Gurn's going to follow him in. So, Kint rushes into the old windmill through the opening in the side and Gurn begins to follow him in. What's everybody else doing? Um, I'm kind of looking around, taking my surroundings, trying to like... I don't know. <laughs> figure out What's going on, I guess, in a way? Yeah, yeah, I'd be doing the same thing. <clears throat> Has anybody come out of the buildings, or can we just see the eyes still? Uh, you can only see the eyes, and they're really only visible as you move, and you see the sunlight glint off of them. They're watching you, but no one is coming out. Vice is silently thinking to himself how many creatures must be in all of these buildings. If one is that small, how many live in these buildings? I'm okay. honestly wondering how 
Gurn came to know these creatures and how they met. But I'm gonna keep walking and slowly making my way to the windmill. Will you all be following Kint and Gurn into the windmill? How dark is it from looking from it from outside? Can I see inside clearly? Or not clearly? But there is the flickering of torchlight from within. I'll walk inside. I'll follow. Yeah, I'll follow. And Shatten? She's following behind. Okay. So as you all crawl into this opening on the side of the windmill, at least one of you having to duck as you wedge yourself into this small opening. So as you all step into the opening, you find yourselves in a room dimly lit by torchlight. The torches seem to be spattered across the room in every direction. You see the remnants of several carts Torn rugs litter the floor. Broken crates and barrels line an entire wall of this interior space. Piles of clothing in various other corners. And in the farthest corner, you can see a collection, <clears throat> excuse me, a pile, an absolute mound of broken pottery, shiny silverware, it sparkles in the torchlight granted upon this room. And you can just see Kint, the tiny blue goblin, rushing around this room, babbling to himself. And then he runs off to a corner, reaches into his pocket, takes out the bear teeth and shoves them into one of the broken crates. And he comes bouncing back up to Gurn. See, see, we found more stuff. We found more stuff. It's all very nice. When did we end up at Cax's shop? Wow, okay. <laughs> okay. What, the broken pottery? <laughs> he only had one cracked bowl, thank you. Oh, okay. Everything <laughs> else was just random junk. Well, that's, that's what this is. <laughs> Celine, as you look around the room, you look to your left and you see a small cracked wooden bowl on the floor. Funny. <laughs> Sorry, Xander, I had to. <laughs> no, I get it. <laughs> Kent, you show Gurn. I'll show you everything, Gurn. Come this way, come this way. And he like reaches up full extension and grabs your pinky and starts trying to pull you towards one of the crates. Gurn's gonna pull back from the pinky and he's going to pull his pocket out instead. Remember? Oh yeah, yes, no touching. Sorry. Sorry, I didn't mean to. Come on. And he takes you by your inside out pocket and starts guiding you towards a crate. And as you approach the crate, you would know 
that this crate is new to this room. And he starts digging into it, just like he, he, he pulls off one of the boards that was half broken and starts digging through it. He, he, we got like, we got new clothes and we can make stuff out of this. Like what? I I don't know. This is like really good clothes. It's like it's all soft and stuff. Here, touch it. And he like holds up a bright green piece of cloth to you. I'm going to take it from him. As you touch it, it is very soft, very smooth. The fabric seems to slide across itself very easily. It's not heavy. You know, being living in this environment for so long, that it won't offer much protection against the climate. But it's very fine cloth. Gurren's just going to keep rubbing it back and forth, and then he's going to start rubbing it on his body. Do <sighs> you want that for, for the free keys? Do you want this one? <clears throat> and Gurn's going to take it and jam it into his pants. Okay. Um, I'm you gonna kind of... One moment. You may add three square feet of green silk to your inventory. Celine, what were you gonna do? Uh, so as I'm walking around the room, I'm going to be making my way to the little blue guy in Gurn and the crate. Um, okay. excuse me, where do you get all this stuff from? Who are you? My name's Celine. Celine. Hold on a second. And he reaches up into his mouth and rips out the bear tooth he had just put in. Holy crap, that hurt. Hi, Celine. I'm, uh, I gotta get used to the new teeth. What did you want to know? I was wondering where you got all your treasures from. Dead people. What dead people? Where? <laughs> no. Sorry, I'm fucking look at his hand. Here. He's fucking dying, dude. <laughs> this is top tier. <laughs> oh my god! Remind me during the break. <laughs> yeah, because we talked about this. Um. <clears throat> We get it from dead people. People come to the mountain to, like, go places and shit, and they die. Because, you know, the mountain's dangerous. So me and my family, we go up and we just kind of take what they're not using anymore. And then you just keep it here? Yeah. It's pretty. Oh. 
I mean, feel so, this. And he reaches into the crate and he r- pulls out a sheet of red cloth and holds it up to you for you to touch. I will take it. And it is the softest cloth you have ever felt. You're used to the natural fibers that your tribe would use to create your clothing. And this is... It's almost unnatural how soft this cloth is. Gurn's gonna look at Kent when it comes out. The red cloth comes out and go, Kent, you want mine? And he's gonna open his mouth and point at one of his teeth. Gurn, keep your own teeth. We've talked about this. Your teeth stay in your mouth. Okay. If you want to trade, you gotta give me something, and I'll give you some of the red one. Kern I'm gonna hand it over to Kern. Oh, hold on, hold on. He's gonna keep it. If you want to take something and keep it, you gotta trade for it. What do I trade you for? Oh, you got something worth it? I mean, he gave me teeth. And I need teeth. See? And he opens his jaw wide, and you see that several of his teeth are missing, and all the rest are mismatched. Um, I will give him uh, I'll give him a piece of crocodile hide. So you present the entire hide, or are you going to like cut off a section? I'm going to cut off a section. All right. So you you cut off a section of the of the alligator hide, crocodile hide, and you present it to him, and he takes it and he he inspects it, like he's looking at this thing really closely. His little beady eyes looking over every square inch of this. And he just kind of looks up at you, and he looks down at the the hide, and he looks over at Gern. Gurn, give me the red one. Come on, give me the red one. Gurn apprehensively starts to hand over the red cloth. Hint takes the red cloth from you, and in a flash, whips a small dagger out of his belt, slices the red one in half, hands you half. He's good skin. But it's not worth the whole sheet. Gurn's going to hand this off to um, Celine. Celine. There we go. Celine, you currently have one square foot of red silk. Okay. And have relinquished one square foot of alligator hide. So, small creature, you desecrate corpses because they have soft clothes? No. No. We don't touch the bodies. Okay. We never touch the bodies. It's bad luck. So how do you get the cloth? It's in the boxes. Oh. Okay. 
That makes more sense. Vice is thinking to himself that that doesn't make any more sense. <laughs> Satin's going to be looking around and just covertly eyeing to see if anything of uh, value can be found. You know, what quality, the quality of shinies that he possesses. Okay, uh, roll perception. Uh, 11. All right. So as you're looking around, uh, it's hard to tell the quality of like the cloths and clothing that he's got strewn about it, about this room. It seems to be mostly cloth. Um, but you, your eye is caught by the pile of pottery and silverware in the corner. Um, as the various metals shine in the torchlight, but nothing's really standing out to you as you know, overtly valuable. So, uh, have you found anything, I don't know, valuable or interesting? You've seen this room? Everything's interesting. Fair. Well, what are some of your favorites? Wow. I mean, this, this, this box is pretty freaking cool, wouldn't you say? It's got all kinds of soft stuff in it. But 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 check these out. Check these out. And he runs to um, a different corner of the room. And you can hear him rummaging through the various broken crates, wood smacking against each other. And yeah, at one point, he just cries out, like, ah, fuck, splinter! And he kind of, you, you see a small piece of wood fly across the room. Yes, While he's... While he's doing that, I'd like to lean over to Celine and say very quietly, how does he have a better vocabulary than Gern? I was wondering the same thing, but he said he had family, so I'm not sure. Glad we're on the same page. It's about the time you guys stop whispering to each other. Kent comes barreling over the various crates and whatnot, and he's got a small vial in his hand. And he looks up at you, Moss. Check this out! Check this out! And he turns around, and he just whips it across the room. It smashes against one of the broken crates and explodes in a shower of sparks. And a small flame starts up on the, crate, on the side of the crate and then dissipates. Do you have any more of those? Yeah, I got a whole box of them. Do you like shinies? Yeah, I got a pile of shinies over there. And he points to the pile of broken pottery and silverware. What about spendable shinies, like gold pieces? Well, we're not really allowed in towns... So, I mean, coins are shiny, but I don't know. You see a look of, like, mild despair on his face. Batten approaches Kent, says, would you consider a trade? And she reaches into one of her, uh, into her sack, and she pulls out uh, her last bottle of the vodka from her, uh, 
or from from the orphanage. As you approach, Kent looks at you, and his jaw drops a little bit. You're beautiful. Can I, can I touch your ear? Please. Kent. Furry hop. Furry hop. Kent. Furry hop, can I touch your ear, please? My, my name is Shatten. Like, but, like poop? No. Just Shatten. Oh, okay. Shatten, can I touch your ear? Please? I'll give you whatever you want. Just please. For some of those vials. Sure. Whatever you want. She lowers one of her ears. He rushes forward, grabs your ear, nearly pulling your head down. You are <coughs> actually a good five inches taller than him. And he just starts rubbing his face all over your ear, repeatedly saying how soft it is and how wonderful it is. And after about two minutes of this, you finally wrench yourself free. And he is standing there just hyperventilating with the biggest broken grin on his face. <laughs> it's so worth it. You're <laughs> so pretty. <laughs> okay. Um, hmm trade okay. and you can see him like writing in the air with his tiny blue finger okay and he rushes back to the crate and then he begins to rush back to you and trips over a piece of wood dropping several of the vials he's carrying and they shatter across the floor in sparks and he's just like shit 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 and he runs back <clears throat> And he grab and and you hear him like rumbling, you know, rustling around in the crate, and you hear glass clinking against each other. And he comes back slowly this time, and approaches you, Shatten. Is it enough? And he holds out what appears to be six small vials containing liquids of various colors. That's uh, perfect. Thank you. And she you now takes it, and. Just obviously very embarrassed about this whole thing. And she uh, pockets some of those vials. Thank you very much. And she's going to uh, scurry up and climb up onto uh, Moss's shell, hide, him, hide under the blanket now. As you do, you notice the slightest pang of jealousy in his eyes as you climb on Moss's back. What what could I get for these? I'm going to reach into one of my pockets and I'm going to pull out three giant crocodile teeth. I try one on first. Sure. <laughs> he, he runs over to you and he jumps up like full eight inch leap grabs one of the teeth out of your hand lands and he opens his mouth as wide as he possibly can two hands around this crocodile tooth and jams it into his upper jaw <laughs> <laughs> knocking out one of his other teeth in the process 
I know. Is your good? Is your good luck? Is this work? Uh, he cannot close his mouth. You've never looked better. I I think try moving it so it sticks out of your mouth, and then get another one from the other side, and you'll just have really badass fangs. Hey, <clears throat> And he holds out his hand as if asking for another one. I'll give him one just because this will be entertaining. Okay. So he walks over to you, kind of hobbled because his head is crooked as he's doing this. He's trying to, like, not move and knock out his new crocodile tooth. He walks over and he gently takes the other one from you. And he goes to try to put it on the other side of his upper jaw. He can't quite do it. Gang? Gang, can you hit me? Gurn's going to uh, center up his fist <laughs> on the opposite side of his face and swing back and give him a quick punch to loosen up his other teeth. <laughs> As you do, three of them come flying out. And he goes and he tries to wrench his jaw open a little bit further takes the second crocodile tooth, rams it into his upper jaw, and then takes one tooth in each hand and rips them forward just a little bit to bend them outwards. Thanks. Do I... I can't close my mouth. This is, um... Right up cool? Definitely. Sweet. I would be scared. I'm not trying to be scared. I'm trying to be sexy. Yep. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> what do you think, furry hop? Does he look sexy? And he, he looks over to Moss again looks up and desperately tries to find you on his back. Her paw comes out and just gives a thumbs up. And comes back. We, I mean, <laughs> all right, give me a second. What's your name? Boss. Boss. Cool. <laughs> Gurn, you got cool friends. Mm-hmm. And he... No. <laughs> Kent turns and begins walking away towards a crate in a different side of the room. As he, as he walks away, you see a couple <sighs> drops of blood hit the ground. And he starts rummaging through the crates and rummaging... And you hear things crashing and being tossed around. And you can hear him kind of cursing under his breath. And then all of a sudden you hear, ah, perfect. And you hear the scraping of metal as he slowly walks towards you. Oh my gosh. 
and he is holding barely he is dragging across this floor a large silver colored maul James fair and he drags it closer and closer to you and attempts to lift it to hand it to you but he can only lift the handle the head of the maul never leaves the ground I'll take the handle and grab it. Okay. You may add a plus one mall to your inventory. Okay. Mm. Um, I want to look down at him. He's like, uh, do you mind if I try something real quick to help you with your uh, teeth? Sure. So I'm going to put a thumb on the, like, the point of each of those crocodile teeth. Yeah. And I want to use a point of each to lay on hands to try and like solidify them into his gums. Like have the gums heal around them okay. to hold them. Okay, I'd like you to roll an arcana check. Well, 16. Close, but you made it. <laughs> so as you come over to him, he holds his mouth wide open, the giant crocodile teeth barely fitting in his mouth. You put a hand on each side of his face and touch your thumbs to the tips of the teeth. Your hands begin to be wreathed in your swamp-colored mist. And at first, Kent is kind of groaning as if this extra pressure is hurting him. And then you feel as the teeth begin to set inward and reshape a little bit until he has two perfectly sized, well, <coughs> each tooth is about two inches long, sticking out from his gum line, but appear to be perfectly set. And you have spent two points of lay on hands to do so. There. Oh. Perfect. Hey, they fit. Oh, and I can talk normal. Awesome. Chatting. Chatting, I look even better now. And as he does so, he tries to look up on Moss's back and runs his hand through his matted, greasy black hair. Nobody's home. Yeah, I'm playing hard to get. That's fine. That's fine. Anybody else want to trade? I got some cool stuff. Moss, I know this is incredibly meta, but had you failed that Arcana check, bad things would have happened. I, I thought maybe. It's probably not going to happen now, and I just, I really want to tell you, uh, his replacement teeth would have fallen out and his old teeth would have started to grow back in and he'd have taken them all back. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of wish you'd failed because that would have been really fun to play out. <clears throat> oh, Gern, Gern, come here. Yeah, good. I, I have something to show you. But just you. 
<clears throat> Gurn's gonna turn to everybody. Um, Gurn, be back. He turns and he starts guiding you towards the pile of pottery and silverware in the corner of the room. What is it, kid? I know you don't... Remember what you told me about where you came from? Mm-hmm. There was a shipwreck on the other side of the mountain range. And some stuff washed ashore. Like what? Like, like what? Just, just take a look. And he points to a small box, about two square feet, sitting in the corner of the room in the shadows of the torchlight. Gurn's going to approach it cautiously, nervous as to what he might find. You open the box. Gern's going to reach down into it and as you as you reach your hand into the box, you feel cloth. Rough, but cloth. Is is more? Just, just take a look at it, buddy. Um, Gern's gonna pull the cloth out of the box. As you lift the cloth and begin to unfold it, and your eyes adjust in the dim torchlight, you see the unmistakable insignia of the tribe that took your mother. I'm sorry, Gern. They're traveling farther. If they made it this far, even though they shipwrecked, they're, they're going further. Burns just a frozen statue at this point, and he's kind of shaking with fear and his voice is trembling <laughs> and rushes over and yanks the cloth from your hands and hastily stuffs it back in the box and slams the lid down on the box I'm sorry Karn I just I thought you needed to know Karn's gonna headbutt the wall Uh, go ahead and roll a d6. Two. You deal two points of bludgeoning damage to yourself, and the large brick that you slammed your head into has moved two inches away from the rest of the wall. The rest of you would hear this thud against the wall. But there's too much debris in the way for you to see what's been going on, and their backs have been turned to you. Gurn's 
Gurn's going to wind up to headbutt the wall again. Okay, go ahead and roll a d6. One. Okay. So one point of bludgeoning damage, and the brick that you hit moves again. Gurn, please. Please stop. They're dead. The, the, this... This came from a shipwreck. That group is dead. Gurn's going to do three more headbutts in rapid succession. Okay, 3d6. A one, two, and a one. Okay. Four points of bludgeoning damage, and the brick that you have been hitting falls backwards into the empty room behind it. The bricks around it seem to be holding the structure. A puff of dust plumes into your face as it falls. You all hear the clatter of stone and can now just begin to make out the cries of Kint pleading Gurn to stop. I'll start making my way over there. You begin to make your way to the corner of the room, climbing over the shattered remains of carts and carriages and crates, a whole bunch of seawards. And you manage to climb over these things without dropping Shatten in the process. And you find Kint and Gurn standing in the corner of the room behind the pile of pottery and silverware. And Gurn seems to be repeatedly slamming his head into the stone wall. Okay. I'm just gonna yell out, stop! Actually, hold on. Stop. Better. Uh, Gurn needs to make a wisdom saving throw. I'm casting command. All right. 18. Didn't work. <laughs> yeah, he did. You hear, you hear your newfound friend call out from behind you a single word. Stop. But it has no effect on your mental state. Um, Hearing all the commotion, I'm going to start my making my way over as well and uh, I'm going to attempt to put my hand on Gurn's shoulder to try to get him to like back away from the wall a little bit after um, Moss said stop Gurn has, has no longer going to headbutt the wall, but uh, he's going to look at the crate that was closed back up, and he's going to stomp it. Not even going to have you roll. With your size versus the size of that crate, you thoroughly bury your boot, breaking this crate in half, splinters shattering in every direction. Revealing the cloth within. Gurn's going to 
grab it, pick it up, and spread it out so everybody can see it. What you all see is a rectangular piece of cloth, mostly red in color, with the exception of a black insignia in the center. The insignia is in the shape of a curved arch with a line through it. The paint used to draw this insignia seems to have dripped downward. Shatten. Thanks to your travels before reaching the orphanage, you would recognize this as the flag off of a sailing ship. But you do not recognize the insignia. That's uh Vice, you would also recognize this as you took a as you took a boat. That's a sailing flag in the middle of the mountains? Where did that come from? Probably from a ship. It's from a shipwreck. The waters north of the mountain range are extremely dangerous. But there are some tribes, some dangerous tribes, that like to take those routes to side skirt, you know, politics. Gern's going to wipe some of the blood from his forehead. Throw the flag down and wipe the blood across his neck and just look at it in disgust and go Gurn kill all orcs and then just stare at everybody in the room hey Gurn buddy do you want to light that on fire Okay. Do you want me to help you with that, or would you like to do it? You. I'll cast Firebolt at it, repeatedly, until it is engulfed in flames. Okay. It only takes, like, two or three hits before the entire flag is ash. The first hit absolutely ignites it. The last two are just for good measure. And as Gurn, you stand there watching this flag go up in flames, reduced to a pile of cinder smoldering on the stone floor of this room. Forced to relive the horrors that you lived so many years ago. We are going to take our break. And we're back. Gurn, you stand over the burning remains of the flag from an orc ship, seemingly shipwrecked in the waters north of Glacius Spine. Your newly found friends stand around you, watching as the cinders burn out, leaving nothing but ash and a burnt scorch mark in the floor. Kint walks up to you and gently places a hand on your hip. Sorry, Gurn. 
I, I am, but I really felt like you needed to know. Gern. Gern did. Gern did need. He puts his hand on Ken's shoulder. Your hand is the size of this goblin's chest. I grip his body. Yeah. I'm going to lift Ken up. <clears throat> Eye level. Hi, Gern. Thank you, Ken. Gern's going to put him against his shoulder and like tuck him into his neck like a hug. And Kent will embrace your shoulder and chest and just kind of nuzzle in and just you're a good friend, Gern. You've, you've done well by us. It's the least we could do. Hmm. Where Come, come out. As Gurn says this, you all begin to hear skittering within the walls of this windmill. Gurn, see you all. Through the holes in the walls, you begin to see the glint of eyes peering in at you. Come, meet Gurn, new friend. The skittering moves rapidly in every direction behind the walls of the room that you're in and begins to grow distant and then concentrated as about three dozen tiny blue goblins come rushing in through the opening of this uh, room and start swarming around you all. Several of them run between your legs as they rush up to Gurn and start dogpiling on him. All of them screaming, Gurn, Gurn, we missed you. Where have you been, Gurn? We missed you. <laughs> and they're just kind of piling up on him until he falls backward into a pile of pottery being clamored on by these tiny blue creatures. Kip, hip, chip, hip, fop, dup, chop. I gonna miss you all too. <laughs> we missed you too, buddy. And they all just kind of clamor around. And then they realize that they just exposed themselves to newcomers. And one by one, they all turn their heads to look at the rest of the party. And one of them, only about a foot tall, closest to Gurn's head, looks over, and the room is dead silent, and you hear this tiny voice. Gurn, are they okay? Are they safe? Gurn's going to bend all the way down and put his hand out. This tiny goblin will crawl into your hand, kind of gripping your wrist for support. 
Grin's gonna stand back up and kind of set him here on his shoulder. And he grabs the rim of your cloak and a little bit. Does Gurn have hair or is he bald? Um, he has some hair, but it's it's kind of hidden under his head garments. All right, so so this this tiny goblin will hold on to your head garments and try not to fall off your shoulder. Gurn, no, they good. Okay, and that tiny goblin just kind of buries its face in your hood. Gurn Miski. I'm sorry, did you just name this tiny goblin Key? <sighs> sorry, Key, you've been demoted. <laughs> sorry, it's the name of a character from our previous campaign. No shit. Yeah, a large Isomar paladin. <laughs> Is now a one foot tall goblin. Yes. So the various small blue goblins start swarming around the rest of you, mostly just kind of looking up at you in awe. Like they've they've never really seen people like you before. And they're all just kind of chittering between each other and 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 gabbing and Kent is just kind of standing in the back, standing on top of one of the crates, just kind of watching over all of this. All right, everyone, give him some space. Hey, come over here. Look at my new teeth. I got new teeth. And they'll just kind of turn around and start clamoring around Kent and looking at him. And you can hear them, you know, chattering back and forth. Some of them like the new teeth. Some of them think they're stupid. It's just a whole mess of noise as they all look at this. All right, everybody, sun's going down. You know the routine. It's time for dinner. And you hear a roar of cheers from all of these tiny blue goblins. And they all start pouring towards the door and filtering out of the room, leaving the five of you and Kint alone in the room. You find good food? It's the weirdest thing. Like, there's a couple of, like, young mammoths just kind of left for dead up on the mountain. A couple of us found them a couple days ago, and we were just like, fucking sweet! So we stripped them down, and now we got a whole bunch of mammoth meat. Gurn and friends. Wait, that was you guys? Big cave. I couldn't see it. It was kind of stormy out. Their big cave. That's where you've been living? <clears throat> you've been so close. Why don't you visit more often? Is it the cold? Is it the snow? Gets to you, Gurn. right? Gets in your pants. Gurn. Makes things cold and uncomfortable. Gurn's going to pull the silk out a little bit. Gurn. Oh. Stuff it back out. That makes sense. All right, cool. Hey, you guys want some food? We'll cook it up fresh for you. Gurn's gonna turn to everybody. Slap Moss on the shoulder. Come! Okay. 
Sounds good. Very hot. Gratton's head pops out. Food? I guess I can... I'm feeling a little hungry. You eat good. Okay. What's for dinner? Kid. It's, it's mammoth. We got mammoths in all kinds of ways. We, we, we had so much. We just couldn't stop thinking of ways to cook it. Sounds good. Go. So you, you want to sit with me during dinner? Please? I'll think about it. I'll take it. What about you, blue guy? Vice looks wildly uncomfortable by the entire interaction that just happened a few moments ago. <laughs> you know, you and me ain't so different. See? Luck! And he holds up his arm and kind of points at his blue skin and then he points at you and then he points at his arm and then he points at you. Got yeah. some goblin in you, don't you? No, and I don't want any if that's what you're getting at. What? I'm not into you. Her, on the other hand, whew. Love to bury my fingers in her fur, if you know what I mean. You know, I've heard that she likes horns. Upon hearing that, he turns to Moss. Got any horns? Uh, unfortunately, no. Damn it! Be careful, it might be a little too soon. If she sees horns, she might throw a dagger. Keep that in mind. And he kind of like chokes yeah. back a little squeak of fear. She's going to peek out from underneath the, uh, the bedroll and just give Vice this death glare. If he catches you doing that, he's going to smile and wave. I would say he does. Um, then he smiles and waves at her. <laughs> All right, come on, come on, this way. We'll we'll go to the the dining hall. And he begins to lead you all out of his storeroom. Do you follow? Yeah, I'll follow. Yeah, <clears throat> I'm just gonna walk behind Gern because it seems like they'll flood him first, and I don't have to deal with it. Couldn't. Couldn't. Gurn points yeah. down at his pocket. <laughs> right, right. So Kenny comes over and he takes your outturned pocket and starts pulling you towards the doorway out into the town. And he leads you over to a building right next to the windmill. A large building. It appears to have once been a barn of sorts and he guides you all inside and as he does you all enter this barn the holes in the walls do not stop much of the wind from passing through here but none of the goblins seem phased by this there's a large fire burning at the center of the room in this large open space there's a fire burning in the middle with a giant rotisserie being turned by 12 goblins 
all putting their weight into moving this rotisserie over and over as a large slab of mammoth meat is cooking over the fire. Around the fire, you see several cauldrons, all filled with stews of different colors, one of which seems to be almost entirely filled with broth and bone. And you recognize a couple of these bones as being the tusks from the mammoths. There are myriad slabs of wood in random spots all over this space, just kind of balanced on top of rocks that appear to have been rolled into here, into makeshift tables. And now you are seeing five or six dozen goblins just kind of clamoring around, trying to find whatever they can to act as, you know, a bowl or plate or something. And they're rushing to the various cauldrons and filling their bowls and then rushing back and trying to find a spot at one of the makeshift tables and just kind of shoveling this food into their mouths. And as you step into the barn and into the firelight, Gurn, as you do this, every goblin in the room stops what they're doing, looks out to, looks to you, and in unison, Yell. Gurn! Ha <laughs> ha Gurn. We they eat. All, they all cheer, throwing their hands up in the air, and return to slurping their various stews. Well, uh, Kent looks up to you guys. It's kind of a free-for-all, but there should be plenty to go around. Find a plate, find a bowl, grab something, and go ahead and eat. Do you think this is what it's like to be a king? I mean, what Gurn's going through. To whom are you speaking? To literally anybody that will respond at this point. Kent has already let go of Gurn's outturned pocket and gone to find himself a bowl. Gurn has followed. Um, I'm gonna turn device, having heard that. Um, well, he is a lot bigger than they are. And I imagine they see him as some sort of protector, so yeah, maybe... He is a king to them, in some aspects. No, I mean, like, he feels like their king. Oh, yeah, absolutely, probably. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. But it seems like they treat him like one as well, so... Atten is going to sneak away and, as stealthily as possible, start getting some of the food and going to eat in peace because she knows that if she's seen she's going to be followed by Kent okay uh, roll a stealth check I still have uh, exhaustion right uh, yes you still have one point of exhaustion so that's disadvantage yes oh boy uh, I'll roll these two 
And I rolled a 20 and a 19. Okay. So, with my stealth, that is 28. Absolutely incredible. You manage to sneak over to what appears to be a large slab of stone covered in overturned bowls and plates. You find one that is less cracked than the others. Let's link over to one of the cauldrons that appears to have the closest thing resembling stew. Fill your bowl and sneak off to a corner, all while keeping eyes on Kint and making sure that he doesn't track you. And the entire time, as you move, slinking behind the various goblins that rush in and out from this area, he never manages to catch sight of you. How high is the rafters? The rafters of this building are probably 25 feet up. Okay. I'll just grab some food and eat. Okay. I assume everybody else is going to do the same. Yes. I'm going to question how edible the food is as I fill a bowl. Okay. As the lot of you fill bowls and, you know, much like Shatton did, you try to pick the cauldron that looks the closest to stew. You end up picking one with a, a deep brown broth filled with large chunks of meat and what appear to be cut up potatoes. As you sit down, you realize there is no flatware. So you must slurp this stew. And as you do, you occasionally have to pull a mammoth hair out of your mouth. And as you bite into one of the things that looks like potato, it turns out it's turnip, which gives the stew a very strange bite. But otherwise, the stew is very hearty and very warm. And you all feel refreshed at a hot day's meal. Would you all like to do anything during this mealtime? I'm going to be observing my surroundings and just basically looking around at all the different goblins, trying to figure out where they possibly would have come from and, I don't know, maybe why, what made them settle here, I guess. Well, looking around the room, you see what appears to be 50 small blue goblins rushing around this barn area, just trying to eat as much as they possibly can from these mammoth carcasses that they somehow managed to drag down the mountainside. You are uncertain where they would have come from, how they could have come to settle here, and... You realize that if you want the answers to these questions, you may have to talk to them. Am I sitting close to Moss? I don't know, are you? Yeah, I'd imagine. Hey, Moss. Do you think they have anything worth... like, money? I mean... Probably. Think they use money? I doubt it. They probably have some things worth money. I mean, I'd imagine that mall that I traded for is probably worth some money. 
But you don't think they use money at all? I doubt it. Hmm. Seemed like they weren't, like, welcome in towns. Yes. Ah, oh, that's a shame. Well, let's try something anyway. And Vice, after finishing his meal, <clears throat> is going to look for some sort of box or anything that he can move to, like, a a central area along a wall, if that makes sense. Kind of like a stage. And he is going to perform on his lyre. So you're going to put on a, a show for dinner? I'm going to try to. Okay, go ahead and roll performance. Be a 17? Sorry, 17? Correct, 17. Alright, and Celine, you were saying? Oh, um, I was letting him finish. Um, while he's doing that, she's gonna finish her meal, and then she's gonna go look for Gurn, and... Was it Clint? Kint. K-I-N-T. Kint. Oh, Kint. Okay. And then she's gonna go sit near them to see if, um... She can kind of get some insight into... Kent and Gern's um, friendship a little bit. Alright, so as you and Vice finish your meals, you each stand up almost simultaneously, and Vice begins to pull out his lyre and walks towards the center of the room where the highest stone pillars have been laid for the sake of this mammoth rotisserie. And as you walk in the opposite direction, you find Gern who stands out very clearly from this sea of blue goblins. And you... <clears throat> uh, you walk over and you find them, and you, and you sit down. And as you sit down, you begin to hear the plucking of strings, harmonies, and a, a, a wonderful song that you are not entirely familiar with but it appears to be coming from the direction of the central fire pit. And as this song is being played, many of the goblins kind of stop their chattering and turn to the center of the room to watch, as music is not something they get to hear very often in this little home of theirs. Um, I'm going to turn and the direction the music to find out where it's coming from and who's playing it. You turn to the center of the room where the music is coming from and you see Vice standing at the center of the room atop a couple of stone slabs, like halfway up a stairwell kind of thing that would lead to where the rotisserie can be accessed. And he's just kind of strumming away on his lyre. Gurn's going to be out of nowhere, stricken in panic, and turn and look at Kent really quickly. Kent! Where's... Where's Meme? And he's referring to the eldermost mother of the family. She's at home. She was uh, a little tired. 
after the last, you know, scrounging rounds. She wanted to sleep. She should be awake in the morning, though. We see then. Yeah. Okay. Oh, hi. Hi, Celine. What's up? Well, I was curious about how you and Gern know each other and how you guys met and came to be friends. <laughs> Gern, no friend. Gern family. Ah. I mean, he's not wrong. We found him washed ashore on the other side of the mountains. And uh, after we found him and realized he was still breathing, we decided to take him in, keep him safe, keep him warm. He's like a brother to us. Gurn, no swim. Yeah, yeah, Gurn's, uh, Gurn's not the strongest swimmer, but, um, he's definitely the strongest of us. He's done us some favors, we do him some favors, and we all get along, like brothers, and sisters, and some others. That's very sweet. Yeah, we love this big guy. And he slaps Gurn on the on the thigh. <laughs> Gurn Gurn love all too. Gurn No no any more than them. Hmm. <laughs> Yeah, Gern's Gern's been a while, been around us for a while now. He's uh, jeez, Gern, how long has it been? Ten, fifteen years now. Gern's gonna make the gesture of the the sun traveling and passing. Yeah, yeah, it's been a while. Of course, he's always been bigger than us. Even when he was, you know, little, I guess, he towered over us. And then he just kept growing. Now look at him. He's huge. <laughs> Gurn stopped now, though. No more big. Yeah, we'll see about that if we keep feeding you mammoth. <laughs> you just gotta keep killing him, right, buddy? Um, we... What about you? What are you doing here, Celine? Well, we are traveling to, I believe, um, Vice's village, I think is what we were doing. Who's Vice? Um, He's the one that's playing music. Oh, the blue guy. I swear, he's got goblin in his blood. 
Look at the color of his skin. You know where he's from? No. I'm afraid a lot of us don't know each other. We haven't been with each other for very long. We're still kind of getting to know each other. It's a lot of trust not to kill each other. Well, we've... Even though we've only known each other for a short time, we've been through quite a bit with each other. Sayin, I can understand that. Saying you tell Gurn how, and he's going to gesture to the rest of the party members. How we met? Hmm. Um. Well. Casual encounters on Craigslist. <laughs> <laughs> we kind of all got invited to this uh, town, I guess. And me, Moss, and Shatton all met in the woods and then traveled together to the town. And then that's where we met Vice. It kind of went on this big quest thing together. Hmm. And fire guy? He was with us too. But he knew Moss and Shatton longer than I did. Hmm. I guess they grew up together from what I've understand so far. Gurn. Gurn no more now. Vice, are you continuing to play? I am. And in between songs, I would like to announce loudly that I am going to play a piece of my own creation. I, Alwyn Vastera, wrote this myself. You hear cheers from the crowd of goblins that have now gathered at your feet. And it's several of them call out, Yeah! Alwyn! Yeah! Play us another song! for performance and some of the goblins begin to dance hand in hand spinning in circles just absolutely entranced by the songs you are playing Inta is going to turn to you Celine why did you just say his name is Alwyn Thought you said his name was Vice. Oh, well, I know him as Vice. I don't recognize the name he said. Maybe Vice is a nickname? Perhaps. He's kind of a tough nut to crack. He doesn't talk much. That's fair. He seemed to get really upset when I suggested he had goblin blood in him. Well, as I said, we're still 
getting to know each other and still trying to understand each other. Trust isn't fully there yet. No, I totally agree. And he picks up a large slab of meat and just bites into it. You know, trust is something earned. Sorry, trust is something earned. And, Gurn, these new teeth are working awesome. You gotta thank your friend for me. These are, these are great. And he takes another bite of the meat. You know, trust is something, and he swallows hard. Trust is something that takes time. And, I mean, look at me and Gurn. He could have stepped on me, even when he was younger. But he didn't. We helped each other. I saved his life. He saved mine. And now we're best buddies. I guess what I'm trying to say is, if you want trust, you gotta prove that you can be trusted. We're working on it. Well, I guess that's all we can ask. We do, in some aspects, act like a family. Oh, yeah? Do you ever clean each other? No. While this conversation is happening and I'm performing, can I cast Dancing Lights to just rotate around the room, spinning in, like, magical harmony with the notes? Absolutely. As you do, the crowd goes fucking wild. A couple of the cauldrons get spilt, and you have you have this group of nearly fifty goblins thoroughly entranced. Anybody that has adventured with Vice can see like a level of happiness in him right now, like that you haven't seen before. <clears throat> Who is watching Vice right now? I am. I am. As the conversation's going on, I'm kind of going back and forth. Vice, you may remove one point. Anyone watching Vice and watching the crowd will see the crowd gasp as his skin tone changes back to its pale creamy color and his hair shifts to a light brown and while also watching this his jaw drops and a small piece of meat falls to the floor between his legs what the hell I thought he was blue Uh, DM, wasn't he his normal skin tone when we met him, or was he blue when we met him? He was not blue when you met him. Oh, okay. Um. You're asking about Vice, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, Vice was not blue when you met him. Okay. Yeah, I can't say anything about his skin color changing. I, I don't know about that one. Aaron? He was blue before, right? Can, um, Gurn? 
Gurn have hard time with blue. Gurn, are you are you colorblind? <clears throat> okay. Well, we'll have to look into that at some point. Anyway, the the guy playing the guitar. I thought he was blue, and now look at him. He's God, he's white as snow. Guernsey spark on on vice one one time. Arc? Like he was shiny? Hmm. It's a weird guy. And he reaches down and picks up the piece of meat that had fallen out of his mouth and proceeds to eat it. Moss and Shatton, what have you been doing during this time? Listening to the music and, and eating, just watching uh, the crowd below. All right, so we'll say that you found a way to get up to the rafters. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean below. I apologize. No, we, no, can, just... we can work with that. It is a barn. There would be ways to get up there. Maybe not accessible by tiny uh, goblins that can't jump. But to you, you probably found a way to do so. Um, you may have been noticed by a handful of goblins doing so, and their little arms point upwards and like, Oh, look! Bunny managed to get all the way up there with a bowl of food. Isn't that awesome? That kind of thing. And you just kind of sit up in the rafters, the one leg kind of hanging off, swinging back and forth as Vice is playing his music, and you slurp your stew. You can't really make out any conversations from this distance, but you can see what's going on. One of the dancing lights that Vice has sent out comes dangerously close to your foot, and then you realize that while it is glowing like fire, it is not actually hot. When he gets to uh, the end of the song, I want um, she wants to. I want to have her yell down. You shouldn't trust his music. It's made by a liar. Over the clamoring for new songs from Vice, the goblins do not hear you. I don't care. That was funny. Moss, what are you up to? Moss has been just after he finished eating was listening to the music watching Vice he also is going through the Atlas trying to find like where they need to go next or where they can go next or at least trying to okay Uh, go ahead and roll investigation 13 The noise in the room, you're having a bit of trouble focusing, and you're unable to determine a direct path to Vice's hometown. Okay. So he'll put that away and go back to watching Vice just about the time that his skin color changes. Uh, just a note. Um, you are making progress on finding this path. You just haven't quite come to a conclusion yet. 
Yeah. So it's, it's not like I'm outright saying, no, you can't figure this out. It's just, it's taking yeah, yeah. a bit longer than you'd hope. So yeah, you look up from your atlas, and as your eyes meet Vice, you see his skin tone shift from icy blue to pale white. Also just kind of look at him. Shake his head a little bit and just... <clears throat> go Go back to just looking around. Not sure what to make of it. Anything else from anybody? At the end of his creation, um, Alvin Vistera will step down from his makeshift stage and walk back to his friends and have a seat. <coughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Gun. I appreciate that. Hey, Vice, Alwyn, whatever. What happened to your skin? I, I'm i not sure I know what you mean. You were blue, now you're white. What happened? Oh, well, so... When I'm in these extremely cold conditions, like up on the mountain, I found that my skin turned blue. And then, as we got down lower on the mountain to here, and had a nice hot meal, I guess I warmed up a bit. All deception. Fucking crit. You're a weird guy, you know that? But fine, guess I was wrong. You're not goblin. It's fine. I, I, I knew I wasn't goblin. No, it's fine. It would have been nice to have a tall one in our ranks, but whatever. You've got Gun. He's kind of like an honorary goblin. Yeah, and we tried painting him blue once, and he got all, you know, huffy. A huffy off the paint? <sighs> yeah. <laughs> Gun like paint. <laughs> and that's why Gun talks like that. Too much paint. It melted away the last two brain cells he had. Oh. Yeah. Well, I gotta say, great show. You got everybody all kinds of... Well, you wore everybody out. And everyone seems real happy. I appreciate I'm that. Really, I'm really sorry about the cauldrons that got spilled. Oh, whatever. We'll just make new ones. There's always new stuff coming through here. In the meanwhile, a figure, performer, needs something. And he reaches into his pocket, starts fishing around, and he pulls out four very shiny brass buttons and goes to hand them to you. Thank you. I do appreciate that. Wow. You performed a service. Seems only fair that you get some kind of compensation. We're not allowed in towns, but, you know. Figure what's fair is fair. 
No, I do. I really do appreciate that. I will cherish these. In fact, I might have them sewn on my cloak to remember you guys here. That's awfully sweet. You know what? Maybe you are a little bit of a goblin. I just might be. And with that, Kent stands up. He pats you on the shoulder, Gurn. Buddy, been a long day. I'm going to go get some sleep. You and your friends can uh, stay in the house. The one we don't use. We're, uh, we'll talk to Meme in the morning, okay? Okay, Ken. Um, night. Good night, buddy. I'll see you in the morning. And with that, Kent steps away and leaves the barn. And as you watch him leave, you're noticing that many of the other goblins are leaving the barn in droves, kind of walking away. Some of them still pointing up at you, Shatton, fascinated by the fact that there is a bunny up in the rafters eating stew, or once eating stew. And you all can overhear them kind of chattering amongst each other. Some of the conversations have to do with uh, Gurn being back in town. Many of them have to do with the performance by the color-changing man. And spattered amongst these conversations are just talk of the newcomers. And just how cool they are. Because you guys are just so different. You are fascinating to this tiny community. And after a few minutes, the barn is empty. And all that's left is the crackling of the fire slowly burning down in the middle of the barn and the sounds of your stomachs gurgling with whatever stew you just ate. Gern, is, is Kint like the tribe leader? Kint is, um, big, big bro. So he's like protector he's older okay mm -hmm. an interesting group of goblins Gurn um thank all Gurn's gonna look rather confused as to like he's searching for more, more words to say but he just can't express himself and he's starting to get visibly upset and he's he's starting to raise his hand a little bit as if he's going to hit himself no we to establish a connection with him um where is spice sitting or standing rather Around the same table that everyone else is. Okay. I'm going to look up to uh, Vice. Why did you call yourself a different name? Because performers always have a stage name. And you're a performer? Professionally? Aspiring to be one. 
But you have to start somewhere, even if it's in a group of goblins. Okay. Now that brings me to my next question. Why does your skin change colors? We just went over this not even 20 minutes ago, as well as a few days ago at this point. It was cold. I was cold. Now I'm warm. Skin's back to normal. Yeah, but even when we were in the canopies, those were warm too, and your skin was still blue. But it was it was short periods of warm. Oh. All right. So does your skin always change color depending on the temperature outside? I've never been in a climate as cold as the as a glacier spine for as long as I was before. So. Didn't you grow up? Not on Glacier Spine. Well, no, but not no, but like on the other side, right? Yeah, but again, not up on Glacier Spine. We we were allowed to. I was allowed to go outside of the of the village a little ways, but we still weren't weren't anywhere close to even the base of Glacier Spine. I was never allowed that close to it, and it wasn't until a few months ago that. I mean, I really could have adventured out that far, and even then, I was back in Hastholm. Hmm. All right. Gern, you feel the familiar tug at the back of your brain as Shatten establishes a mental link with you. What is it you're trying to say? I'm... <clears throat> Thank you. Um, he thanks everybody for showing and sharing and a part of this and share what little Gurn knows with and with that Gurn's gonna close off the connection and he's gonna make eye contact with Shatten and a single tear is going to roll down his cheek well we thank you as well for sharing with us have a good family here Nods in agreeance. All right. Is there anything else? I think it's time for bed. All right. As Shatten yawns, stretching her little paws out, she slowly crawls up onto Moss's back. Gurn, you stand up, feeling accepted cared for you guide your new friends to a small house on the southeastern part of town where you know the goblins don't tend to stay not because it's necessarily dangerous 
You know that they just don't tend to stay here because they don't have enough numbers yet, and they like to sleep together. You all hunker down. This house has a couple of rooms that don't yet have holes in the walls. You all settle in for the night. And with full bellies, warmed hearts, and a little bit of awkward confrontation with the locals. Yes? Who am I bunking with? Who would you like to bunk with? Either Moss or Celine. Well, Shatton's going to be with Moss. Like, he's not going to care, but... And I'm not really going to be sleeping. I'm going to be doing my meditation thing, so... Like elves do. Yeah. So how many rooms are there? Two. Two? Two, two that don't have drafts. There are probably four usable rooms, but two of them don't have holes in the walls. I'm looking to bunk with Celine then. Because I want to talk to either Moss or Celine, but don't really want Shat to, to, to be in on the conversation. Gurn, where will you be sleeping? I'm actually uh, gonna wait for everybody to get their arrangements ready, and Gurn's going to make an exit, um, and he's going to go sleep with all the goblins for old time's sake. So sweet. So Gurn goes to rest with the other goblins, the rest of you. Gather up together. Shatten and Moss, you find yourselves in a small room, befitting of the two of you, while Vice and Celine move into a separate room. Celine, I, uh, I don't. The reason my skin changed isn't because of the cold, I don't think. But I'm not 100% positive. I'm fairly certain. But I'm not 100% positive as to why that is. And I think we will be certain here soon with uh, me going back home. Well, hopefully we can get the answers that you seek to know, I guess. I didn't mean to offend you by asking that question. I was just curious. No, you're fine. But, uh... It's it's not Goblin that's in my blood. It's something else that makes me not an elf, not a human, but something much different. Well, I'm sure we'll find out soon. Vice is going to take his quill out again and prick his finger like he did before. Okay. 
How's Vice feeling right now? Level. As you prick your finger, two drops of blood come out of the tip of your finger. The effect that had happened the first time, or the, at least the last time that you did this, does not appear to be presenting itself. There's definitely something weird, but I don't know if it happens to everyone that's my kind. Why did you prick your finger? So, was it last night or the night before? I think it was last night, right, Robin? I believe it was last night. Last night, I the best way I can describe it is the way that I believe that I feel in the cold the way that Foth has felt in the fire trial. But <laughs> when I, last night I something in my brain just didn't something just didn't feel right. And so I pricked my finger and the blood to come out wasn't blood. It was water and then it froze and then it bled a few different colors and then it was red. Very odd. I've never heard of such a thing before. But it didn't do it now. No. Odd. Unfortunately, I don't have any answers to what that might be. Uh, I'm sure once we get you back home, we'll figure it out. But until then, we probably should get some rest at least for a little while. Probably a good idea. Um, she's going to nod and then kind of go off in a corner and do her meditation. Vice will begin to write in his journal before falling asleep. Okay. Moss and Shatton. <clears throat> Moss is, <clears throat> Moss is going to turn to Shatton. You want to talk about it yet, chat? I feel... Did he leave because of us? No. I talked to one of those watcher things that gave me this mark on my arm. And he'll point to the uh, undead, uh -oh, alive crow mark said that uh, his kind isn't supposed to be on this plane. And he was actually kind of surprised that he was here this long. So, does he know where we can find him? 
quietly. He said there might be some ways with powerful magic, but... But he, he did say that he is alive. And he's home. That's good, at least. Yeah. Well, I mean, just give him one last goodbye. Maybe call him an asshole, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, he was an asshole. He was our asshole. Yeah. I'm going to sleep now. Good night, Shadden. Night, Moss. Hey, Moss. Yeah. You won't leave like that, would you? No. I'm here for the long haul, buddy. Good. I won't either. I'm just gonna curl up in a blanket and uh, roll under the bed. Also, pop into his shell. All right. Gurn, as you exit the house in which you have left your newfound friends to safely rest, you return to the house you called home for a few years before you decided to live on your own on the mountain. And as you enter, the room is quiet. You can see a handful of goblins kind of up on the bookshelves, wrapped up in whatever they could find. And you slowly creep upstairs to an upper room where you find most of the rest of the goblins all kind of huddled together. And as you step into the room, your foot grazes against one of the sleeping goblins. And she kind of rolls over and looks up at you. Garn, I'm so glad you're home. And then all of the goblins around her kind of stir and look up at you with these grins on their faces. And you just hear your name echoing around the room. Garn, 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 Garn. All of these voices until it becomes louder and louder and starts to turn into a roar, a chant of your name. The various goblins all kind of stand up and start rushing at you. Huge grins on their faces, piling on top of you, trying to get you to each one of them, trying to have their moment to give you a hug, to welcome you home. And they all kind of pile in and around you, and you with this big grin on your face settle in lay down on the ground with a whole mess of goblins creating a pale blue blanket across you you fall asleep your eyes your eyes drifting closed in the warmth of your family each one of them gripping at you as if they can't get close enough And each of you in your respective areas falls asleep. And that is where we will end tonight's session. <laughs>